go ahead and get into the Word of God. Uh, we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, looking at verses 24 through 27 today, wrapping up our time in chapter 9 this morning, and we're going to see that Paul literally picks up on this theme of living for the sake of others. Now, for Paul, what he gives us and teaches us is that living for others for the sake of the gospel was not an optional way of living for the believers in Jesus Christ. And so many people have asked this question this morning, well, why did we break uh, this passage down with the passage that we had last week? And it's for two reasons. One, because as a priesthood of believers, I want us to understand that why we do with what we do is for the sake of the gospel, which leads us into what it is that Paul teaches today in our text, which is to live not only for the sake of the gospel, he teaches the Corinthian Christians that for the sake of the gospel, both them and us today should now learn to live, or better yet, practice gospel discipline. In other words, with the end prize in mind, knowing that, that our hope rests fully in Jesus Christ, knowing that one day we are going to be reunited with Him for all of eternity in His glory, we not only have a race to run, but we have a race to win. We not only have a fight that has come, but now we have a fight to finish. In other words, as believers in Christ today, we are called now to discipline ourselves or discipline our lives so that we can be found faithful both in our actions and our words. In other words, what we do, excuse me, what we do and live the way we live for a purpose. We do what we do and we live the way we live because God has a plan. Thus, when it comes to our own words and our own lives, there should be intent and purpose to how we now move about our day and who it is we now share the gospel with. Why? Because as we said a week ago, there is now no way to separate your life and relationship with Jesus Christ with the life that you now live in this world. They are intertwined. You cannot separate the goodness of the gospel from the rest of your life. If you are a believer in Christ, you will now know that this is an impossible task. So looking at our text today, Paul teaches in order to live for the sake of the gospel, we have to be willing to train. Now I'm going to go ahead and acknowledge for you that I use a lot of sports analogies. All right, and you may not be a sports person. Today I apologize because we have two sports analogies coming to you because of the Word of God. So you cannot get mad at me today. Your frustration is now with the Word. But before we get there, I want us to understand that like many of the sports analogies, like coaching football or better yet, coaching any other sport, what Paul teaches us is that a good coach will tell you that championships are won in training. Championships are won in practice. Championships are won in the off-season workouts. Why? Because if you don't work in practice, then you won't be ready for the game. Or as one of my coaching friends used to say to our athletes, how you practice reflects how you will play. So how will you practice with discipline today? And as we look at our text... 
This is exactly what Paul was teaching the Corinthian Christians as those called to faithfully love and serve one another for the sake of the gospel. He says that we must become a people who now pursue gospel discipline. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, we are in the last section of 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 24. And once you have found your place in the Word of God, and you can and you're able, I would invite you now to stand in honor of the reading of the Word. Now again, this is Paul writing to the Corinthian Christians in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 24. He writes, And do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we, an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Now, just to serve as way of reminder, let's go back one verse to verse 23 to make sure we see and understand why Paul now calls the church to practice gospel discipline. Verse 23, he says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. Now again, that's the passage that we need to remember. It's the passage that we now need to underline because Paul's goal for the Corinthian Christians was very simple. He wanted to see all peoples come to faith in Jesus Christ. Remember, Paul, as we said a week ago, was willing to to walk with all peoples as far as necessary in order to see life change happen. He wanted to see them come to a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so perhaps Paul had Matthew chapter 24, verse 14 in mind when it says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, or better yet, all peoples, and then the end will come. Maybe in some sovereign moment with God's grace in mind as a part of his providential plan, maybe Revelation chapter 7, and verse 9 comes to mind. Which says, and after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes, and all peoples, and all languages. You see, there is our phrase, again, all peoples. And so when you come back to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we see that Paul wanted to see all peoples come to faith in Christ. Why? Because he knew the end was coming. Why? Because he had to know that at some point all peoples who come to a relationship with Jesus Christ will one day find themselves before the great throne of God and they will praise his holy name. Man, what a joyous day that will be for those who believe. You see, for Paul, his mission, his journeys, his church planning efforts, even his apologetics, his his defense of the faith was not for his own name. But rather, it was to make much of the name of Jesus so that the name of Jesus would be made great. Now, in establishing this point, Paul now hopes to get the Corinthian Christians to, to follow him and ultimately to catch this vision. Thus, he now calls the believers to practice discipline. So for our text, 
Paul now calls the Corinthian Christians to this discipline by comparing gospel discipline itself to that of an athletic competition and the training that now comes in preparation for that competition. Now, at this particular point, Paul probably has in mind uh, the Isthmian Games, which were held every year or every other year in Corinth. Now, this would have been a a competition of athletics and uh, music that was held in honor of Poseidon, which was the god of the sea. Now, we know, according to history, that the winners would receive a wreath of branches to wear on their head, which were actually later replaced by a wreath of dry celery. Now, although the prize doesn't really sound all that appealing, because I don't know how many people are signing up to put celery on their head, competing in these games and, and winning these games were actually a matter of pride. It was a matter of acknowledgement for the, for the work that you had now put in. Therefore, when it comes to the preparation for the games, the athletes and musicians themselves, themselves would take on strict preparation in order to train as if they wanted to win. And as we know, in order to win, winning requires hours of practice. It requires hours of training. It requires hours of discipline. And so this particular spectacle would become the backdrop of Paul's call to the Corinthian Christians to practice gospel discipline. So let's go ahead and jump back into our text and see Paul answer the question, for the sake of the gospel, how should we as believers now practice and live gospel discipline? Well, Paul's going to give us two ways to do that. The first we see in verses 24 through the first half of verse 26, Paul says this, if you want to live and practice gospel discipline, then you need to run. But you don't just run, you run to win. Now in speaking of gospel discipline, notice again that Paul changes the subject to athletics itself. It's particularly focused on running and boxing this morning. But notice verse 24 when he says this, and do you not know that in a race All the runners run, but only one receives the prize. Now, Paul clearly has a formal race in mind here as as one who actually runs against others for the sake of winning a prize versus just getting out with your family and racing around the yard to see who's the fastest. Now, notice that here in this passage, just like in other passages, now Christian living is being compared to a race. And we've seen this several times already before in the Bible. You see it in Philippians chapter 3, you also see it again in Hebrews chapter 12, which is used to now show our constant need as believers in Christ to grow and to persevere. Now that word persevere is a word I want us to hold on to as we continue to walk through this text. Now coming back to the text, Paul says that we now run to win a prize. That's why he says, so run that you may obtain it, the it being the prize. Paul is literally telling the Christians to train and to run as if the desire was to win. Now again, this sounds a bit prideful coming from Paul and what it is that he's calling the Corinthian Christians to, but that's not at all what Paul means here. Paul wasn't talking about winning in order to make a name for yourself. Paul wasn't concerned with winning so that someone would become the next great Paul. No, Paul's desire was for them to train, to work, and to run to win because the prize itself is our heavenly inheritance. 
The prize itself is our eternity with Jesus. Now again, this does not mean that we are trying to to work out salvation. It doesn't mean that we're trying to earn our salvation at this moment. That would would mean that we believe in a a works-based salvation, but that's not what Paul's talking about. Rather, since we know the prize, since we have since we've already been given the hope that is found in Jesus Christ, since since that that price has been paid for us, Paul says, in order to grow in holiness, you have to practice gospel discipline, meaning you work, you train, and you run to win in order to seek the prize, in order to get the prize. Why? Because if our belief is in Jesus Christ, then we recognize today that as believers, it is because of Jesus Christ, the name of Jesus, the relationship that we have in Jesus, the hope that we now have because of Jesus means more to us than anything else this world could offer. So when it comes to Jesus, Paul says there's nothing else. What else could you need? In fact, in writing to the church of Philippi, Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, he says this, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Everything is loss compared to knowing Jesus. Now think about that when we walk into this week and we begin to worry about something that at the end of the day really doesn't matter. I count that as a loss compared to knowing Jesus Christ as my Lord. Coming back to the text, verse 25, Paul continues. He says, and every athlete exercises self-control in all things. Notice that Paul speaks of these athletes. He says, listen, even the athletes that you see make every effort to prepare for a race. Why? Because they're not running for a participation award. They're running to win. And what are they seeking to win? Paul answers that question. He says they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Now just think about that for a moment. These athletes were training to win. They weren't looking for a participation prize. They weren't looking for the, thank you for showing up, here's the certificate to get you a free cone from Dairy Queen. They wanted to win. But notice what they were winning. Their prize was foliage. They were winning pine leaves. Things that would fade and die, or eventually, like leaves will do, will ultimately dry up, and if you're not careful, will catch fire once they dry. Again, not something I want to wear on my head. And then later they figured out, maybe this is a bad idea. Let's change the price to a wreath of celery stems. Now, I don't know where celery falls on your food chain. But let me explain to you where celery falls on mine. It doesn't. Thank you, Mom. <laughs> Who knows you better than your mother? If you, if you see me eating celery at home, two things have happened. Something went wrong or we are out of food. But I promise you, if I'm eating celery, I'm going to go ahead and tell you now, celery is only good with cream cheese. It's only good with pimento cheese. And if you don't have either of those, try peanut butter. It makes it better. Again, let me tell you what I'm not doing with celery. I'm not wearing it on my head as a wreath. Why? Because for me, celery is only good when other stuff is added to it. Now coming back to the text for Paul, 
Paul says, listen, this is not a real reward. That wreath is perishable. Meaning this, that prize doesn't last. It's, it's limited. It's like, a, it's like a trophy from our childhood. Some trophy that we won because we, we played a youth sport and, and we won some sort of prize. Where, where is that trophy now? We probably still have them, if we're honest. In fact, uh, Mom, you've been very vocal. Let me ask you, where are my trophies right now from my childhood? Upstairs in the attic. Wait a minute, they're not on the mantle? Mom? They're upstairs in the attic. In a box. Collecting dust. No, I don't want them. <laughs> throw them away. I mean... What good are they? Let me, tell you, let me tell you what people aren't asking me today. Hey, when you played in the 10 and under baseball team, how did you do? Oh, I want a trophy. Let me tell you what question is not going to get asked of me when I stand before the seat of judgment. Hey, Johnny, how did you do when you were 12 in baseball? <laughs> Jesus Christ does not care. Let me just go ahead and say this. I don't know if you watch sports, but I love how at the end of a game, there's like a Hail Mary pass or a last second field goal. I love how both teams are praying like Jesus actually cares. He doesn't. You know what he cares about? Salvation. He cares about salvation. I've been in that coach on the sideline. I had players say, hey, Johnny, we need to pray together that they don't score this touchdown. I said, no, we're not praying for that. I'm going to pray for you to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray for that. Why? Because at the end of the day, it's just a score of a game. It doesn't matter. It's perishable. But notice what Paul says. Paul says, no, for us as believers, what matters to us is the imperishable. Now, what is he talking about when he speaks of the imperishable? When he speaks of the imperishable, he's speaking of the crown of righteousness that we will receive in judgment that Paul speaks to Timothy about in 2 Timothy chapter 4. That is imperishable. When speaking of the imperishable, it's the crown of life, which means an eternity spent with Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. And this is what James speaks of in James chapter 1 for those who love Jesus Christ and live for Him. What is imperishable is also what has been promised to us for persevering. There's that word again, according to Jesus Christ, as written in Revelation chapter 2. Paul calls the church to persevere because at the end of days, what we will receive can never be taken from us. And it will never perish. And so Paul calls the Corinthian Christians to run, to win, in order to receive the eternal crown of glory that is given to us by Christ Jesus, because of Christ Jesus, and thus that crown that we receive should be given back to Him because of the work that He has done in our lives. Yeah, See, Paul says, Corinthian Christians, you are now seeking the crown of life that is eternity with Christ. So when it comes to this race that is life, when it comes to this race that you are now called to, Paul says to them, run to win. In other words, do not take this life for granted. Don't take it easy on life. Because guess what? Life's not taking it easy on you. I think this is why Paul says in verse 26, the first half of it, he says this, so I do not run aimlessly. 
Paul teaches us here that, that this race is not for the lazy. This race is not for the complacent. We are not called to now stroll casually through the woods here at this moment. No, Paul wants the Corinthian Christians to see that, that this race, this, this life is of great consequence. Thus, all believers should run it with determination in order to reach the goal that has been laid out for us. You see, we as believers are called to fix our eyes on the outcome, or better yet, as we just read in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, to look or to fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the founder and perfecter of our faith. So brothers and sisters in Christ, can I tell you today that your life, this race, was not meant to be casual. We're not doing this for some sort of participation prize. No, we're called to something greater. We're called to pursue holiness. And so Paul says, for the sake of the gospel, run. For the sake of the gospel, train. For the sake of the gospel, win. Why? Because we should be running this race of life, desiring to win. And in order to win, we must be willing to train. And so brothers and sisters, I want to ask you this morning, how are we doing at the training? I hope we're not like Allen Iverson at this point. Practice? We're just talking about practice? Everybody remembers him saying that. Nobody remembers what happened next. He didn't show up for practice. He had a horrible three seasons, and he was out of the NBA. How are we doing at the training? And you may be wondering, well, how do we define training? Okay, let me, let me get a little more specific. How are we spending our time? Are we now filling our lives with things that are true and honorable and beautiful according to the Lord, according to the Word of God? Are we spending time in the Word or are we doing this? Or are we wasting our time with that which is trivial because for whatever reason we feel like we just need that time? We just need that space. Why? Why are we filling it with things that do not matter? When the reality is we could be spending that time building relationships, spending that time growing in accountability as iron sharpens iron, so does one man do for another. We could be spending that time growing in wisdom, read a good book, listen to a podcast. We could be growing in our own understanding and strength in the Lord. Now again, some of you may hear that and you may think, okay, so, so what I need to bust out is the institutes tonight. Go for it. Why not? Maybe you're not there yet. Let me back you up. Try, try Kent Hughes' book, Disciplines of a Godly Man. Start there. Start simple. By the way, you're going to find out real quickly, not a simple book. Read it anyway. You see, here's the reality. You may not be into reading heavy books. And that's fine. But let me ask yourself, let me ask you this question. How are you training then? You may not be into in-depth studies. Waking up at 6 a.m. to join other brothers to be encouraged by the Word of God may not be your thing because you're just too tired. Okay, well then let me ask you, how are you disciplining yourself? Now you may not be able to make it for other reasons, and that's fine. There's really good reasons why you can't be there. I understand that. But if it's just because we're too tired, then how are we preparing ourselves to win? How are we preparing ourselves for the victory that is in Christ that is coming? The same God who said we're not called to be lazy. 
You may be at a point in your faith where you're saying, even that's too much. Okay, then let's back this train up even further. Just, just memorize John 15. Start there if you have to. Learn what it means to seek to abide in the Lord. Learn what it means to seek to abide in the Word, knowing, them, knowing this, that apart from Him, we can do nothing. Memorize it. I mean, here's the truth for us this morning. We're not going to win in this life if we think that we can seek to do everything on our own. I mean, you might win a couple things, but what you're winning is going to perish. What you're winning is going to turn to dust. But no, that's not what we're called to seek. We're called to seek what Christ has called us to heavenward. And it's not trophies. You see, we're seeking a far kingdom. We're seeking an eternity with Christ. And by God's grace, it is already ours in Christ Jesus because He alone is Savior and He alone is Lord. And so knowing that we already have the prize, we have to ask ourselves, are you now willing to run to win? Paul moves on from there and he gets into his second how to be disciplined and live with gospel discipline. He says, first, you are to run to win. And then secondly, similar to running to win, in verses, the second half of verse 26 and verse 27, he says this, that if you want to live a gospel-disciplined life, then you need to fight to finish. Now again, I want us to notice how the image now switches. We just talked about running. Now we're talking about boxing. This is one I can get a little more into. Now, we get into boxing because contextually for Paul, this was actually one of the more popular athletic competitions during the Isthmian Games. Notice what he says in the second half of verse 26. After saying, I, will not, I do not run aimlessly, he then says in the second half, I do not box as one beating the air. Now I'm going to go ahead and tell you what we know about Paul. Paul does not strike me as a boxer. In fact, I'm going to, I'm going to step out on a branch and say he doesn't strike me as, as someone with athletic skill. Lots of wisdom. But I'm not sure about the athletic skill. I'm not sure if we're playing kickball. He's our first choice out there. Okay? However, his point remains the same. For Paul, an effective boxer does not exhaust themselves by punching the air in the middle of a fight. Rather, they direct their blows at their opponent in order to win. They may not have started it, but they're going to be sure to finish it. Now, when I think of boxers who didn't waste any time when it comes to boxing, there's a name that comes to mind, and he is one of the greatest boxers that I have ever watched. And this kind of dates me a little bit, okay? I'm not talking about Floyd Mayweather. I'm talking about mid to late 80s, early 90s. I'm talking about Mike, Iron Mike Tyson. Overall record, 50 wins, 6 losses. 88% of those wins were by knockout. You see, from 1985 to 1990, Mike Tyson was 37-0 before his first loss. Only four of those wins were by decision, which means 33 of them were either by knockout or by technical knockout, meaning he knocked his opponent down three times. He was one of the fastest fighters, one of the most feared fighters. I remember his walk up to the ring, black shorts, red gloves, towel over his head like they were releasing an animal. 
And then he would walk into the ring, the towel would come off, and it was game on. He was the youngest boxer to ever win the world heavyweight title. He had the highest punch percentage with 12 of his knockouts coming in the first round. In other words, Mike Tyson didn't waste time. Now I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I had the privilege of watching Mike Tyson fight, and it was amazing that how fast his punches were thrown were unbelievable. He didn't waste a punch. But I also know this because, believe it or not, I had a chance to fight Mike Tyson. True story. I fought him. You see, in the late 80s, I had this incredible game called Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. And you may know what I'm talking about because if you put in the code 007-373-5963... It takes your right to Mike Tyson. You don't have to fight all the other people. You go straight to the champ. Now let me tell you what would happen. Mike Tyson would throw three punches in this game and you were out. You, on the other hand, had to go three rounds with him, have about five bonus stars, and then maybe, just maybe, you would win. But here's the point of this illustration. Like the greatest boxers and fighters, to live this life for the sake of of the gospel, we must be willing to fight to finish. In other words, as believers in Christ, we're not called to quit. As believers in Christ, we're not called to give up. If you're here and you're fighting sin in your life and it's a prolonged sin, then fight and win. If you're here and, and you're struggling with, man, how am I getting in a, in a, in a, a daily time in the, in the Word? I'm, just, I'm struggling with that. How are you fighting for that time? Let me go ahead and say this to you. As a priesthood of believers who have been called together by the gospel of grace, who now have this wonderful church and this campus to steward, let me ask you this question. How are you fighting for the gospel to be known in this place? you got to fight for it. And when Paul says to fight to finish, he's saying this, look, we're not called to be lazy. And we're not only not called to be lazy, we're also called not to make excuses. All of us are without excuse today. Like a boxer training to fight, we have to live, train, and move with intentionality and with design in order to practice gospel discipline. Now, we know Paul says as much when you look at verse 27. He says this, But I discipline my body and keep it under control. Notice how Paul says, In order to be ready for this gospel call, you must be disciplined. Which means you must train with intensity, train with strictness. There is no cutting of corners here. You can't just sit by and idly wait for the next guy to do what it is that you have been called to do. Let me give you an idea of how that works out. Not here, but at previous churches. I've had people walk into my office and say, Pastor, I believe that the Lord has called our church to this. Can you lead it? Can I say to you what I said to them, and please take this to heart? If God has led that that call on you, go do it. Don't, Don't put that burden on me. That's what God has called you to do. Go do it. My responsibility at that point is to find a way to support you in that work. I've had missionaries in seminary who would say to me in in prayer groups, man, I love being here in Fort Worth, Texas, but I really believe that God has called me overseas to this place. You know what my question to them was? Then why are you not there? 
Because either God's called you here for a reason, He's called you here to train, and if He has not, then you need to be there. Go there. Stop wasting time. Go. You see, as believers in Christ, we have to live with some sort of intentionality. We have to live with purpose. We have to be disciplined. And you know why we have to be disciplined? Because people around us are asking questions. We have spent decades praying for God to open doors for us to share the gospel. And guess what God has done? He's opened the doors because people are asking questions. God has even gone a step further. Sometimes they come to your door and knock. Those folks need Jesus, by the way. Open the door. And tell them the good news of Christ. You see, Paul wanted and desired for the Corinthian Christians to follow his example. And so he uses the analogy of running, the analogy of boxing, for them to understand that for the sake of the gospel, we are now called to bring our mind and our body under subjection and submission for the cause of Jesus Christ. And then Paul tells us why he trains that way. He says, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Now, it's interesting. Paul ends here, and then we get into chapter 10, and he's going to unpack what he means by, by being disqualified. Okay, we're going to get into idolatry this next week. Or not this next week, but two weeks from now. You see, Paul, in this moment, wanted the Corinthian Christians to understand that he desired for his actions to match his words. He was not willing to share the gospel, teach the word of God, if he himself wasn't under conviction or faithfully living out what it was that he was preaching. You see, Paul wanted the church to see and remember his genuine faith. And then he wanted them to follow his example and live out their faith genuinely as well. In other words, Paul wanted the church to be more than just Christian in name only. He wanted them to to live by the Word of God, to grow in their understanding of the Gospel, and to be unashamed of it as well. So I'll read in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the Gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. You see, for Paul, if we train and grow, then we will not hide or be ashamed of what it is that we believe to be true. We're going to be able to answer the questions. We're going to be able to, to defend the faith. We're going to be able to reason together with, with other believers and, and non-believers and reason truth with those who need it. And we'll be able to do it without reservation and hesitation. You see, brothers and sisters of Christ, for Paul, running to win and fighting to finish were necessary for those seeking eternity. Again, not that we're trying to earn our salvation and work for it, but rather we already have it. And since we have it, we continue to run and fight so that others would know it as well. You see, Paul wanted the church to keep fighting. He wanted them to keep training. He wanted them to know what awaited them at the finish. He wanted them to be fully committed to Jesus Christ and thus train as one seeking to lead others there as well. So we have to ask ourselves this morning, do our lives reflect one who is fighting to finish? Do we desire today to be trained or to, to grow in our own faith 
or do we simply enjoy wasting our time on things that offer us no value? So what are you fighting to finish? Now again, some have questioned Paul's words at this point and ultimately challenged him on whether this is a standard to which Christians could even achieve. Paul would answer, yes. I would agree with Paul. Because Paul's point was very simple. Paul wanted the Corinthian Christians to understand that we need to practice gospel discipline by running to win and fighting to finish. And why was this necessary? Because remember our first word that we started with that I asked you to hold on to? Because we need a word of encouragement. Because we need to be reminded of our call to persevere. This race is not going to be easy. This fight is not going to let up. This life is going to constantly continue to throw one thing after another at us. I mean, how many of us have found ourselves in moments going, man, if I could just catch a break today. I've asked that question. I'm sure you have too. Let me ask you a follow-up question. On that day, did you catch a break? Probably not. No one ever said life would be easy. And no one ever said that all of a sudden following Jesus Christ would be the magic potion to make everything better. No, you see, following Christ means that we are now called with a prize. We are called with a hope. And that hope is coming. It has come and will come again. And until that day, until the day He comes or until the day He calls us, come, calls us home, Paul says this, keep running. Keep fighting. Practice discipline because your prize awaits. I'll close with a quote from John Calvin on this very same text. He says this. He says, For God requires from us nothing more than that we press on vigorously until we reach the goal. Thus death alone must put a period to our running. So I strive to conduct myself in such a manner that my character and conduct may not be inconsistent with my doctrine. May our actions match our words. May our words match our beliefs. And in order to achieve this, we must daily practice gospel discipline. Let's begin today. Let's pray together. Amen.